Our sermon for the week of October 1st, 2023, the 18th Sunday after Pentecost, is taken from Matthew 21, verses 23 through 32. And the theme of our sermon is, A Man Had Two Sons, from Matthew chapter 21. When Jesus went into the temple courts, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him while he was teaching, and said, By what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? Jesus answered them, I will also ask you one question. If you answer it, I will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, where was it from? From heaven or from men? They discussed among themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say to us, then why did you not believe him? But if we say from men, we are afraid of the crowd, since they all regard John as a prophet. So they answered Jesus, We do not know. He said to them, Then I will not tell you by what authority I do these things. What do you think? A man had two sons. He went to the first and said, Son, go work today in my vineyard. He answered, I will not. But later he changed his mind and went. He came to the second and said the same thing. The second son answered, I will go, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said to him, The first. Jesus said to them, Amen, I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, but you did not believe him. However, the tax collectors and prostitutes did believe him. Even when you saw this, you did not change your mind and believe him. The word of the Lord. On Sunday, Jesus had marched triumphantly into Jerusalem. On Monday, Jesus had cleansed the temple and cursed the fig tree for not bearing fruit. But now, it's Tuesday morning. And the Jewish leaders are circling Jesus like a pack of wolves ready to strike. They ambush Jesus in the temple courts to ask him where his authority to teach, preach, and perform miracles has come from. They know they didn't give it to him. And Jesus knows they don't actually want to know the answer. They're trying to trap him and twist his words. And so he makes a deal with them. I will also ask you one question. If you answer it, I will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John. Where was it from? From heaven or from men? And they don't want to answer. They know both would put them in a bad spot with the people. And so they discuss to themselves. If we say from heaven, he will say to us, then why did you not believe him? But if we say from men, we are afraid of the crowd, since they all regard John as a prophet. John the Baptist's ministry had validated Jesus, and Jesus had given John authority to come before him and prepare the people for his arrival. And so it's not as easy as saying, we believe in John, but we don't believe in you, Jesus. They're caught in the trap they laid for Jesus, like a coyote and roadrunner situation. And so they answer, We do not know. Jesus says, Then I will not tell you by what authority I do these things. Jesus then launches into a parable, seemingly changing the subject. The thing is, though, this parable really does address what had just happened. A man with a vineyard has two sons. He tells the first, son, 
Go work today in my vineyard. And the first son says, I will not. But then he eventually changes his mind and he goes. The father tells the second son, Go work today in my vineyard. And the second son says, I will go, sir. But he ends up not going. Jesus asks the religious leaders listening, which of the two did the will of his father? And they rightly answer the first. But let's take a closer look at this parable. Let's dig deeper and see how how we match up with both of these sons at different times in our lives and match up with them not for the best of reasons. Let's look at the second son first. He says he will go, but he never does. And how would you describe him? Flaky? Unreliable? Unfaithful? How about insincere? We don't like when people are fakes, right? We don't like it when they put on a false front and tell us the things that they think that we want to hear. Or when they come up to us and smile and give us a handshake, even though we know they dislike us deeply. We want people who are real. We don't want phony. We want people whose words and actions match up together. The second son wants to please his father, but he doesn't want to put in the work to please him. If he says the right things, dad will be happy with him in that moment, and he's not concerned about the future. He just wants approval now and isn't worried about what's to come. And maybe he thinks dad will forget. Or that when the time comes that he's caught, he can come up with some good excuse. But in this moment, he would like to have his father's approval. Aren't the Pharisees who are speaking to Jesus living for the moment? They're so concerned about tearing Jesus down that they are willing to say anything, whatever it takes to keep themselves as the moral authority, to not lose their power. That's why they don't ask what the right answer is when it comes to this question about John. They ask what answer will give them the best public opinion. Their their question to Jesus is asked with a false spirit of curiosity. They're not seeking truth, they're reading the polls. But it's even worse than that. It would be one thing if they were being disingenuous just to boost how people looked at them. But these are the men tasked with leading the people spiritually. They're the pastors of the day. The purpose of their authority is to lead people closer to God and closer to his truth. Instead, their focus is on consolidating power. These Pharisees had sold themselves as the example of godly living. They would tell the people that the people should live more like the Pharisees. But their words are empty. They're not concerned about tomorrow. They're not concerned about eternity. They are concerned about how they are received right here and now. Their real feelings would come out later on that week. They would arrest Jesus, send forward false witnesses in a sham trial, and cheer for a murderer who had staged a rebellion and and killed people to be set free instead of Jesus. They're talking the talk. But are they walking the walk? Jesus offers us the opportunity in this parable to look ourselves in the mirror with complete honesty 
And what do we find? We can be very good at talking the talk, can't we? We go to church. We tell people we'll pray for them. We make people think that we care about them so much more than ourselves. But the walk doesn't always match up with the talk. Maybe we act in a completely different way in church than we do at home. Maybe we talk to our spouses with respect in public, but the way that we talk to them at home is full of curse words and put-downs. There are times we say what we think is popular instead of what we think is true. Running the numbers in our heads, just like the Pharisees here. The people who see the real us are usually our family members, right? They see all the warts and moles on our personality. And so if they were hooked up to a lie detector and asked if you were a genuine person in the way that you presented yourself, would they be able to say yes without setting off the lie detector? And can't all this insincerity in the way that we treat others, the way that we act in the world, can't it work its way into an insincere faith? It's easier to say that we care about God's word than actually to adhere to it, right? It's easier to tell people you care about them than it is to actually sacrifice for others. I'm blown away by how many people say that they are so caring, so empathetic when it comes to others, and so focused on serving. But when push comes to shove, they won't lift a finger. And it's not just unbelievers. Christians can be the biggest hypocrites. You expect the unbelieving world to be self-serving and full of empty talk, but you never expect the people of God to be all talk and no walk. Jesus doesn't say this is okay, quite the opposite. He says, Amen, I tell you. The tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, but you did not believe him. However, the tax collectors and prostitutes did believe him. Even when you saw this, you did not change your mind and believe him. All talk. No walk. And that's enough to keep a person out of the kingdom of God. We've said this before. The way to heaven isn't as simple as knowing a password. We talk about how it's all about knowing Jesus. But knowing Jesus as the Savior is not as simple as saying, He died for me on the cross. I know that that happened, so we're good now. Knowing Jesus is loving Jesus. Knowing Jesus is taking to heart just how much He degraded Himself to serve you. Remembering the cross, He allowed Himself to be nailed to to carry each and every one of your sins away. And what are you naturally going to do when you care about someone who has sacrificed so much for you? You're going to show your love for them. You're going to take seriously what they have to say. In the same way, faith is not just talk. It's not just saying the right words. It's this all-consuming love for the Savior who loved you first and loved you better that drives you who you are and everything you do. Watch out that you don't rest on your words like the Pharisees rested on their words. But then we look at the first son. And he's got a problem too. 
He says he will not go out to the field, but then he does. And all of us would say the same thing as the Pharisees. The first one does the will of his, of his father. But there is danger found here too. In one sense, the Pharisees are all talk. They're more concerned with their own status before the people than they are with their status before God. But in another sense, they are walking the walk. There's a reason the people had respect for the Pharisees. They were obsessed with shaping their lives around the laws of God. In fact, they made extra laws as a sort of insulator for God's law. An extra layer of protection so they would never even get close to God's law. The problem was they, they were walking the wrong walk. Their actions were often actions God wanted, but their hearts were not in the right place. It would be like the man who went to church every Sunday, volunteered at the retirement home multiple times a week, and made sure that all of his family members were well taken care of. But when asked why he'd be in heaven, the man answered, I think Jesus would be proud of me for what I've done. I think I've made his sacrifice on the cross worthwhile. I think I've followed his example well and deserve heaven. He's walking a walk, but it's for the wrong reasons. He's doing it to earn something rather than saying thank you to the Lord. And this is the tightrope that Christians have to make sure that they have a firm footing on. Is our service to others and to God a response to what Jesus has done for us, meant to glorify him? Or is it a means to try to earn our own righteousness before God? We all know self-righteousness is a temptation that comes knocking at our door each time we do something we would deem virtuous. The minute we try to pat ourselves on the back, we pollute what we've done and make it all about us instead of about God. But God is not primarily concerned with our words, and he's not primarily concerned with our actions either. He's concerned first and foremost with our hearts. It's easy to find ourselves caught in a pickle, right? If we say the right things, but we don't follow them up with actions, we're, we're hypocrites just like the Pharisees. But if we do the right things, with even the smallest selfish motive, our service, it becomes nothing but, but filthy rags. Where do we turn when it seems like every path is a dead end. We go to the one teaching the parable. We see his selfish service that leads all the way to the cross and grave. We see him call all those who are insincere to be filled with the knowledge and understanding that he did more than just talk about forgiveness and salvation. He won forgiveness and salvation for the world. We see him call those who are tempted to lean on their own works. To stop seeking self-righteousness. To stop trying to pat themselves on the back. And live instead in the righteousness that he gives by faith. The righteousness that was won on Calvary. The righteousness that was the complete focal point of all of his work of salvation. Dear brothers and sisters. Fix your hearts on Christ. 
wrestle with his truths. And as you wrestle with those truths, your words and your actions will fall into the right place. Not done in service to you, but done out of thanks to God. Amen.